Welcome to another episode of the Birdsand Academy podcast. This is the show for online course creators who want to build a profitable business by sharing your skills and knowledge. This is your host, Willie Mulia. If you're not listening to this on our website, go to academy.birdsand.co slash four to get your show notes. This show is brought to you by Birdsand Email Marketing Tool, the only email marketing tool specifically created for online course creators. Get your free forever account at birdsend.co. That's bird as in the flying bird and send as in sending emails, birdsend.co. Today's guest is Yaro Starak. Yaro is the author of the blog Profits Blueprint and founder of Yaro.blog. He began blogging over 12 years ago initially for fun. However, as his income surpassed $10,000 a month, he decided to go all in and treat his blog as his business. Since then, Yaro used his blog to sell over $2 million of his own ebooks, online courses, and membership sites, and travels the world living what he calls the laptop lifestyle. Today, Yaro is a mentor to thousands of people, helping them turn their knowledge into a profitable online business using his blog sales funnel system. Yaro has a proven track record of results with his graduate bloggers going on to make thousands of dollars, some even millions in such diverse niches such as book design, ADHD counseling, acne treatment, BMX bikes, skiing, cars, sports news, speed reading, real estate, television production, and fat loss. And Yaro, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks, you. I'm happy to be here. Okay, cool. I followed you many, many years ago back in 2008, so it's a decade now. And I remember you uh, visiting your blog, signing up to your email list. And, you know, I know that you are big on the idea of the laptop lifestyle. And can you walk us through what that means? Yeah, sure. One of my favorite subjects, really. So um, I, like possibly yourself, I grew up uh, at, at the same time as the internet sort of grew up. And that was very lucky because I did not want a nine to five job. Um, I didn't know how to avoid a nine to five job other than starting a business. That seemed like the, the most common way of doing it. But I had no idea what kind of business. And obviously, before we had the Internet, when you think of business, it, you know, it could be a, a restaurant or, you know, selling some kind of physical product that you, you know, have a factory and manufacture it, all those sorts of things. So thank God for the Internet, because that gave the opportunity for me to explore ideas uh, with websites. You know, I had a, a card game website. I, I then started a company about um, essay editing which is sort of my first laptop lifestyle business. And all of these projects, even as I go forward and I started my blog and my podcast and selling online courses and eBooks. And uh, right now with my, my most current project, uh, an email management service called Inbox Done, they're all designed to be what you'd call, or what I call laptop lifestyle businesses, where they can fuel your lifestyle. You can live anywhere on the planet. You certainly don't have any kind of set schedule. I don't have an office. The cafes around the world are my offices. Um, you're interacting with your team, but they're all remote. My team are talk to me on Slack every day, but they're in Australia, in America. I've got my project managers in, managers in Tonga. Um, so that's really you know an amazing thing, again, about the internet to have these remote teams. 
and uh, obviously you make uh, a living at, as a bare minimum. Obviously, I've always worked to kind of, you know, do really well and, and have financial freedom as well. But the first goal was always that structure of a, a business that doesn't just take all your time. And I think that's really important to point out because I noticed entrepreneurs will end up working longer than nine to five for certain types of business models. They can end up working 12 hour days, 14 hour days. So it's kind of ironic. They end up quitting a job to start working 14 hours on their own business, sometimes for less money. So that was not my goal. I wanted that sort of four hour work week. Tim Ferriss made famous before he even wrote that book. That was my goal. So everything, as I said, has been about that. And and I'm very grateful because ever since that essay editing company all the way back that I started in sort of 2000, um, some business has given me that lifestyle. So I, it's really now I'm going to hit 20 years in, in another year of uh, living the laptop lifestyle. So it's it's been a good ride. I think you you are into the lifestyle business, obviously with the, with the concept of the laptop lifestyle. I see on your blog, you also have that one of the main points that stood out is the laptop lifestyle. What would you say to people who are on the opposite? So some people who quit their jobs, like you said, they are working long hours. Is there, would you say there's anything wrong with that? Like, because some people <laughs> are like you, they, they are into the lifestyle, Tim Ferriss style of uh, having a lifestyle business that supports them. And then the other one is like, they want to build this, a gigantic big company and then pro- probably someday sell it for a billion dollars or maybe they don't want to sell it but they just want to build an office with hundreds of employees so what is your take on right. people who have that kind of idea to start a business right well we're really talking about three things here there's the you know normal worker an employee uh, or executive in, in a company uh, then you've got a lifestyle entrepreneur which i think we're i am and you probably are too Ellie. and then you've got uh, they usually call it a growth company or a, a tech startup. It's not necessary tech, but a company, like you said, that the kind of goal is to have a big exit or just create a massive company with lots of employees and you're you know, the CEO and the founder and eventually you probably exit. Um, I've, I've, for me, it's like, okay, nine to five employee, never wanted to do that. I did have some part-time jobs um, and, and I think it's important to say there's nothing wrong with having a job. It suits probably more people on this planet uh, than any other type of employment. Like, I don't think if the entire planet was all entrepreneurs that we'd probably be in trouble because no one would be doing the sort of everyday work. So and and it doesn't suit most people. Most people aren't, uh, you know, they don't want to be in control of everything. They want a steady paycheck, a role where they can really focus and, you know, hopefully enjoy and become an expert at. We're entrepreneurs. We have to do all kinds of different things. But I think to answer your question with the two different types of entrepreneurship, I've wanted to do both. Uh, I still get excited about both. I, I think for me, it was always first, and I think most of the listeners will feel the same. First, you got to make enough money to survive. So it, it, you don't even know necessarily what your company will be. You're just going to work at that objective and it could become a lifestyle business if that's the way it evolves and if you build a business using a certain type of structure a business model and you make certain decisions as i did to have a team and to have a a, a kind of a, a business that runs without you or as could separate from you as much as possible but has a steady cash flow that's kind of a lifestyle business versus maybe the the tech founder startup type business where you 
are going to keep working really, really long hours. You're going to get an office very likely. You're going to fill it with employees. You know, you're going to make way more revenue, but you're going to spend it all on growth. You're probably going to have investors, uh, not necessarily, but you know, that's usually the way to do rapid growth. And, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't call that it's definitely not a lifestyle business. You work really hard. You're very stressed. Um, often those kind of people, they have a, a you know a crazy story to, to tell once they exit. Like it was like I would never do that again. They're hopefully wealthy. Sadly, the real story is a lot of these projects, they never really make any money from them. Only these you know sort of rare unicorn stories we hear about. So, um, but I'm a fan of both because I think the big companies they're the ones that make a dent in the world. You know that's the the, the Airbnbs and the Ubers and the the Googles and of course I'm talking about tech companies here um, because I'm in the tech field. You're in the tech field, but we should not forget about you know Boeing making airplanes and uh, all the companies doing whatever it is, medical research. This is the stuff that changes the world. Now, my little essay editing company and my blog and my email management business, uh, none of those are making massive dents in the universe, but they each provided a great service to a small select few people. And, you know, it, it can change the lives in a positive way to that little core customer group you have. So it can be just as personally gratifying, if not globally impacting as a, a large startup becoming a large company. So I don't think there's anything wrong in either, but boy, you have to get clear uh, which one you're going after uh, I, you know, pretty quickly because they're very different business models. You have to make very different decisions. And I went after the big model for a couple of years with the tech startup and it was terrible. I uh, it's, it, I did not enjoy the, the the prospect of kind of trying to get investor funding at the same time as trying to grow a company and hiring was so painful, trying to find good people to work for you. So I much prefer nice lifestyle, laptop lifestyle businesses. And, and that's obviously what I preach and teach as well. So that's my, my, uh, my, my area I want to focus on. Right. Yeah. So I, yeah, because this show, I mean, our audience is mostly online course creators. So people who actually teach and share their knowledge. And I remember you, you just, you mentioned about the, you, you have took the path, the startup path where you're trying to pitch investors before. I remember reading your blog about that. Um, cranky ads, right? Yeah. Good. good. You really are a good reader. <laughs> well, yeah, it's yeah. nice to yeah. follow my journey from start to finish. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because I've been following you for so long, a decade ago. So yeah, just know about the experience that you also wrote a, a lengthy blog post about the reasons why you eventually stopped that business. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I think it's a matter of uh, your personal preference. Like you said, just now you have to be very clear which goal you are aiming and along the, along the way, even even if you change course, then it is fine too. Because sometimes, like you, like yourself, you wanted the the the, the tech company, the giant company, and then you switch. Uh, you also move back to the uh, lifestyle business. So, uh, regarding the lifestyle business, and I know you have been doing this for for a very long time, like you say, 20, almost twenty years now. So, with regards to hiring team members, you also mentioned about you. Uh, everyone on your team is remote. They are working from different places all over the world. So can you tell us if how does that work? I mean, the, is, are these people your uh, permanent employees? You pay them salary um, or are they like independent contractors where it's just um, a part-time freelance thing or some of them are full-time? How does, how does that work? 
So I've never had a, a full-time employee for any company I've run. Uh, we've, we've had founders, you know, I've had partners and, and obviously we're, I guess, considered employees, but from a structure point, we weren't, we were, we were co-founders. So contractors has been and still remains the majority of the people I work with. Um, I don't necessarily think, you know, that's always the smartest path. Uh, it just lends itself well to certain types of businesses. So, uh, for example, for the people listening, no doubt when you're building a business that sells your education, so course creator, information marketer, ebook writer, uh, and you're probably doing things like blogging and podcasting and YouTube and social media, um, there's going to be certain roles that you'll eventually, hopefully quickly, start to need to fulfill with other people's help. You don't want to be a jack of all trades wearing all the hats. I, I did that myself. I mean, like possibly almost all the people listening right now, money was very tight when I was getting started uh, with my business. So I attempted to be the person who built the website and did the customer service and did the marketing to find the customers, mm. um, did the content creation, you know, did all the tech uh, error correcting uh, and on and on and on. And, and that, the end result of that was seven years of very, 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 very slow growth, like almost no money for six years and finally started to make some money in the seventh year. So I could start hiring people, starting with the tech person who was, a, a, again, a, a remote hire. So today I always advise all of my coaching clients, you know, hire tech from day one. You know, I would even recommend working a job to save up or provide some income so that you can put away maybe $500 a month towards tech, especially at the start, you know, to build your websites, your landing page, set up your email list, unless tech is your thing, which usually it's not because normally a coaching, teaching person, your thing is whatever it is you're good at and you help people with, which doesn't usually relate to tech. It could be cooking or fixing a sore back or losing weight or whatever it is. So you want to be spending your time on that activity, creating content and creating product not setting up the websites and getting lost in code and uploading scripts and yada, yada, yada. So tech first. And then once you start to get some sort of customer base, then customer service, I think email needs to be the next thing. Those are the first two things I outsource. And now as a rule, straight away, I get those off my plate because they're the two things that suck your time the most doing your emails and doing your tech setup. So I have people in place straight away. Um, they, I guess, you know, the reason why they haven't become full-time employees is just structurally my company hasn't needed that kind of person in those roles. We just function well with contract work. Um, but there are plenty of people who are doing what I do, especially as they grow, I guess, the next level that they have to get full-time employees because it just makes more sense. They need that consistent worker doing a nine-to-five level of work output, uh, you know, growing parts of their business, maybe it's developing software, maybe it's constantly working on split testing to grow your traffic or running your ad campaign or writing content every day. And that that makes sense at certain levels. Like I, I do notice once you kind of break free from the sort of above half a million US dollars a year, that's when people start looking at full-time employees under that seems to be okay to to function entirely with contractors you can even get up to a million like a, a seven-figure business and just have contractors but most people i know go beyond that and again that's a decision you know to make as well because when you hire full-time employees 
you have to keep giving them work in order to justify the cost of nowadays could be 60, 70, 80, 90,000 dollars a year depending on what role they're doing. So if your company is not consistently bringing in that income, that creates a major stress point for you as an entrepreneur. So I know from my point of view too, um, contractors, it's just more relaxed in terms of my sense of I've got to make payroll. I don't have to think that way. So I can really kind of you know hire as I need with the amount of hours I have and not have to worry about giving someone an, a full work day worth of work. Uh, and, and in fact, as a founder owner, often that ends up meaning you end up doing a full day's work too, because you have to coordinate your employees. So that's been kind of against the ethos of the laptop lifestyle for me. Uh, but there is there's certainly a place and time for employees if you want to go to that next level. So your team members is uh, independent contractors, as you said, does that mean because yes. you're not giving them full-time work as in like 40 hours per week? So does that mean that they can also work for someone else? Did you have any kind of restrictions yes. in place? Yeah, I think almost all of my people have been working for other people. I don't, you know, really carefully watch what they're doing outside of the work they do for me. But I know for sure. Well, I mean, a lot of the people I've worked with, they're they're kind of entrepreneurial as well, like they or or freelancers at the very least. So maybe not hardcore entrepreneurs, but they like being in charge of their own freelance work. So they they do have their own company, and I love that because they're they can have the flexibility of working as an independent contractor with me and they have time to grow whatever other business they're working on uh, or take on other clients as well. So, and they can decide how many hours they want to do each week, who do they want to work with, what kind of products they want to work on. Um, with my newer company, Inbox Done, it's a little bit more structured because we take over email accounts for entrepreneurs, basically, or any kind of you know expert who has a lot of email or or customer service via email, and that's a consistent role. They have to check in every day. It's not nine to five, but we do want them to you know clear an inbox every day because that's very important to get back to people. So those people have um, a set time frame, at least in a twenty-four hour window, to go and do that work. But for example, I know like one of our contractors lives in Hawaii. So it's great because whatever it is, he wants to go surfing, catch the surf, and then he can log in, do the email job, and then, you know, whatever it is in the afternoon. So uh, it's, I think, and this is maybe why I also like contractors, they have this similar ethos to me, and they want to build a life that's in their control, not have a boss telling them when to work or what to work on. They decide how many people they work with and what they work on and how many hours they do. And that's freedom of a, of a kind. And I think that's, uh, you know, it's a form of laptop lifestyle right away. Uh, that's very attainable um, for a lot of people. Freelancing is a great way to get started, you know, making money. So I love it. I love it being a person who hires freelancers. And I love the fact that we have that, you know, kind of ecosystem available nowadays with sites like Upwork or just the fact that there is the Internet. And I can hire someone from Tonga who is choosing to live in Tonga um, and, uh, you know, Run, we all we all run businesses and do what we enjoy. Cool. So how do you how do you find someone to trust? Like how what is the process of maybe you can share some tips about how you actually recruit these contractors? Of hiring, yeah. Uh, yeah. As I mentioned earlier, I I hate it. I sucked at it. Um, so, I I attempted to do a lot of it myself uh, for many years and. 
I relied on referrals and I still will say right up front that most of the best people I've worked with have come from a, an existing connection as opposed to posting a job on Upwork or, um, you know, back in the day there was Elance and Freelancer and all these, some of these are still going, um, or even just posting to Facebook sometimes can get someone. But usually the best people come from a, a peer endorsement. So another entrepreneur who currently uses this contract or maybe used to recommending I hire them or work with them as well. So that's been the best way to, to find people. Uh, but you know, you kind of run out of resources eventually if you, you just do that. So what, what I did, so I, I attempted to grow my company a few years ago, hiring more people. And I just had this run of just getting people who disappeared on me. And it was very frustrating. You probably saw me write some blog posts about it. Well, I know I did back a few years ago. Um, and then I realized, okay, I'm not going to get better at this because I don't want to. And I thought, i got to hire someone to help me hire. And that's when I brought on Laura, my project manager. And I, I spent a bit of time to find her, again, through my friend referral network. In fact, my current tech person, Carly, she is friends with Laura. And she recommended Laura for the role. And she turned out to be great. So then I told Laura, your job is to get hiring system set up because I want to grow my team and I'm not very good at hiring. And I said, what we can do is there's a few people who have these systems in place for hiring that I really admire. I want to kind of take some, steal some of these ideas and, but you apply them, not me. And for example, one of the very basic ideas was put together a recruitment page. That's very much a content page. It uh, basically pitches the idea of working with me. So we have this uh, we have this for my coaching business with my online courses and so on, um, but it's not really as active because that company isn't like I'm not massively growing that company. But we took the same system to my inboxdone.com company too for hiring our email managers, and we use the same principle. And it's it's pretty simple. It's kind of like a, an about page in a lot of ways, like a, a blog about page where you talk about your history and you know what you're doing and your vision and what it's like to work with you and what you're looking for in terms of a shared vision from a potential contractor or you know team member as we prefer to call them and paint a picture that you know this is an exciting opportunity rather than a kind of a bland you know email link apply here because uh, you, you kind of get what you put out there so by putting in the effort to create this nicer application page we got a better quality uh, person applying to begin with Second thing we did, again, sort of boring ideas from other online entrepreneurs, was create more of a process of vetting or basically testing before we even talk to them. And that just meant creating a much more complex uh, application form where we provide you know, more questions, but not just questions, actual tests of ability within the application form. Great example, right now, if someone wants to apply to become an email manager for Inbox Done, we actually have some emails that are kind of like dummy emails to show what kind of emails our clients might get. And we ask applicants to write back to these emails as if it was part of their job. And that's a great way for us to assess the core skill, which is writing emails, in this case with this business. And also it, it acts as a deterrent because if someone's you know not really into this job, they're not going to bother to go through this long application process, answer these emails to you know test themselves. So it's a filtering mechanism to get the serious and best people only to apply. And once they get through that testing and application form, 
then we move on to the actual let's do some interviews and have a conversation with you uh, and to see what you're like you know uh, talking to you over the internet and that is a really you know a, i guess a three-step process to get much better people and that was all developed through Laura and myself. Laura definitely implemented it, and we brought it across with Inbox Done. Claire, my co-founder there, has been applying those same principles. And uh, they've become a foundation, actually, for that business because hiring for Inbox Done is kind of like our core strength. It's why that business works because we're doing the job that entrepreneurs don't like doing, which is hiring and training the person to handle your email. Um, and that's, that's kind of our, our secret sauce is why we can do what we do. Um, so it's all connected in my case, my coaching business led to that business and, and those hiring practices were developed from Laura by borrowing all kinds of ideas and coming up, coming up with our own. And I thoroughly recommend them. Like hiring is probably the most important job, uh, an entrepreneur can do once you start to get traction. Obviously if day one, you're trying to get traction, get your first subscribers and then customers but you'll get to a point where the constraint for growth is growing your team more than it is needing to get more customers or more audience and that's a great place to be but it's pretty stressful especially if you're one man or woman show trying to do all that that's when hiring becomes the most important role just curious when you when you were putting up on your website about what is like what is like to work with your company or what what is like to work with Yaro? Do you specifically mention that this position is uh, for free, like independent contractors, or did you just say uh, make it vague like uh, be be on my team? Did you mention any kind of full time or part time arrangement? Uh, I can't. I'm not sure the specifics. So I'd have to go back and read because we we'd created an individual entry for every opening of a role. Um, what I do know is we're we're not like we're being upfront with this is how many hours it's going to be, and it's not going to necessarily be consistent if it's not a consistent kind of role. So um, you know, expect ten to twenty hours a week, but there's no guarantees. You can you know quit any time. So all these statements are inferring to the fact this is a contractor position and i suspect they were also emphasizing i would have like i said i have to go back and and read over the copy but i'm pretty sure the word contractor would definitely have been mentioned um, in each of the individual job openings on my blog um but you know that that makes sense because that's what we're offering a contractor role and they're dynamic roles that don't have set hours and they go up and down each week so uh, it's just the nature of the position got it so Yaro, I didn't catch this earlier. Did you mention you you didn't have a you never ever have a nine to five job before your first business? That's right. I've never had a nine to five. I have had part time normal jobs, like you know working for other people, uh, but they were never like a full time employee role. Never had that kind of job. Thank God. <laughs> okay, this this interesting uh, because most people. Uh, when they start a business, most of them are coming from how they already have a job and they have a family to support, um, and then they need to have that income on with their business first before they are um, before they are ready or they are brave enough to make the jump on quitting their job and then focusing full time on their business. So, right. what is it that made you? Um, what made you, I mean, you started entrepreneurship at a very young age of, uh, I don't know, 20 years ago. So yeah, eight, how, 18, how, uh, 18 years. 
At at eighteen, I, I was eighteen years old. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So that's that's a very young age. How did you, um, how did you get started on your first business? Is it was a what tarot card? You said <laughs> no, Magic the Gathering. Card. Oh, it's oh, a collectible yeah, card yeah, game. Yeah, I remember. You that. might know it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so yeah. How did you how did you get started? Have the idea of starting? I mean, as as a very young kid, mm. why did you? I mean, how did you come up with the idea of of starting this business? Right. I mean, you know, you make a good point. I'm not a typical case study. Uh, I, I, and all I knew was I didn't want a job. And I think perhaps that's the one thing that maybe led to me starting earlier. It wasn't like, um, I was a genius business startup guy. Like I, you know, was successful from day one. I was far from it, but I knew I had to avoid the full-time job. So I hustled. That's why, you know, part-time job here, tried to start selling like to, to be honest wasn't actually a card game website my first ever income was just selling stuff on ebay and uh you know finding stuff around my house selling all my old toys just to see what it's like to generate some revenue that might sound silly today because it's just so common to sell anything craigslist uh, whatever your you know your services but um back then it was selling on the internet your stuff don't you you should have a garage sale that's how you sell things right so i was already being a little different using the internet to get rid of my junk then it led to a website you know and again i was just a teenager who liked playing this card game and it made sense to start a magazine on the internet about the game because i loved the game and i loved the idea of having a magazine so that led to the magazine style website which led to starting a little online store my first income stream from advertising and it should be noted that the dot-com boom, the first bubble, late 90s, was happening then too. So I was constantly inundated by, you know, Amazon starting up, eBay was starting up, then Napster was happening, and then there was the pets.com, you know, example of a, a company making millions of dollars in capital raising and not actually making a, a, a cent online. And then it all came crashing down, and I, you know, I saw all of that happening, so I was very excited about the internet I wasn't making a full-time income from any of it, but I was definitely motivated. So I, I kind of, you know, I, I lived with my, my mom for a, a good number of years, so I didn't have a lot of expenses. And I didn't have kids or a wife or, a, you know, family to support or all those things. So I was I had the luxury of that time. I actually, I have a podcast that talks about, you know, for people who might be listening, if you are in a full-time job, how to make the transition to full-time entrepreneurship because it is a, a juggle and it's something you have to really carefully balance. And I, I have interviewed so many people now and I've heard so many origin stories of people who have jobs and do support families with full-time employment, yet they get up in the morning you know, and, and find an extra hour in the morning to, to create content or product or whatever. And they work on weekends. Sometimes they use their holidays, you know, just to get everything up and running. Mm -hmm. Then they maybe switch to freelancing instead of a full-time job and they can slowly transition. Uh, I won't go into all the details. Like I said, there's a full-on podcast if you want to have listened to that from my show. But I want to emphasize that it is important to understand that it's possible. And I'm the exception. Most people do it when they do have a full-time job or at least some kind of job. Um, I'm not the exception in the fact that I did have two part-time jobs. So I yeah, was working 15 hours a week, 20 hours a week at my local university uh, in the help desk, um, you know, providing customer support and service there. Uh, and that was my rent money and my food money. So, you know, any kind of money I made from my companies were, which was slowly growing. My goal at the start was to just quit those two jobs. So I had to make enough money for my companies, uh, you know, maybe like 1500 a month would get me my rent and food money. And that was my, my first goal. 
so that was the motivation. I can't tell you where that came from other than the fact that I didn't want a job and the dot-com bubble was happening around me. So it was a special time in, in history. And uh, again, like I said, I'm thankful I was becoming an adult at the same time that the internet was becoming an adult. And that's just, just luck. So were you, you mentioned you were selling advertising space on your first business. Uh, apart from that, yes. are you getting any uh, income from maybe selling products or affiliate products? Yeah, I was. I was selling cards. So, you know, it was surprising. Um, like e-commerce, technically, is what I was doing long before, you know, today we have the Shopify and, and so many other ways to, to sell things online, Amazon and so forth. I was doing it old school, though. I, I, I won cards and I collected cards as a player of this game. And then I started buying cards wholesale. And I, I literally had plain text files listing all of my inventory. And people would send me an email saying, I want to buy this number of this card and this number of this card. I'd say, great. I'd adjust my inventory plain text files manually. They'd send usually a money order or a check in the mail. I'd get it. I'd cash it. It clears. I'd then pack up those cards, go down to the mailbox, uh, post office, and, and send the cards to them. And that was my online store, you know, so, um, it's old school, but I, and I made like almost no money cause there's very little margin. I, if I, if I didn't win tournaments, which meant I won free cards, I wouldn't have made much profit. Like it, it relied on me doing that, but it was a great learning experience. Like that magic, the gathering website, even though it was, uh, you know, very, um, you know, not very profitable ultimately was very amazing for, the core skill set I grew and eventually used for every business. I still use it today. You know, I think about yeah. the content creating skills, the tech skills, um, the marketing skills, the connecting with people skills. Cause I really got in touch with people in the community and, um, you know, eventually one of them bought my whole business. I sold that business. So it was an amazing learning experience. Yeah. And the foundation for my blog too, cause that's where my blog content came from eventually. Yeah. I think that's very, very, interesting and wise advice i think a lot of people see things for what they are right now but sometimes it's just a stepping stone for other bigger things like you said you learn all these uh, networking skills and then uh, content creation skills so eventually it builds up so um yeah i think it's important to see not just what you are doing right now i mean if it's if it's not working for you then maybe this is a stepping stone to someone something bigger like you like what you yeah, did not yeah. maybe Guaranteed it is that everything is a test. <laughs> right. Okay, Yaro. So with so many, I mean, with tons of experience creating online training programs, courses, what do you think is the number one problem? Number one problem for people, for online course create, creators? What is the problem they face? I know if you asked me that when I was you know, considering doing a course, uh, I would have said two things. Um, the fact that I didn't know whether anyone would actually pay me for information I created, there was just self-doubt, you know, self-belief, it was just not there. Uh, if you've never sold something of your own creation, you know, it's easy for someone who maybe has been writing books their whole life to, to jump to a course, because it's not much different. I won't say easy, but it's easier. Uh, for someone who, like myself, before I released my first course, I never considered myself an authority, an expert, coach. I was just this kid trying to make websites make money. And then suddenly I'm going to teach people how to blog as a way to start a business. So it was a confronting idea. 
that's a mindset issue. You know, that is just simply a confidence test that you can push yourself through. And once you get some people kind of giving you that positive feedback you need, telling you, you know, you're, you're good at what you're doing. You, I, you, I really learned from you. Then you start to get the self-belief. And that's certainly what happened for me. And then the other problem, which probably is way more prevalent uh, in reality, is just how do you get customers? You know, that's every business's problem. But I think uh, most people who I see Certainly in my history, coaching and teaching people, it's it's not a, for lack of uh, their own understanding and their ability to create a course. It's just they just can't get customers because they're just not good marketers. They don't know how to find customers. They don't know how to convert people from reading content to signing up to an email list to then going to a sales page and buying your, your online course. You know, there's a four-step process there. Basically, the same process everyone uses to sell online courses, give away content, grow a list, offer a product using a sales page or a sales video, and away you go, sell your course. But there's so many little granular steps to get right. You have to have a traffic source that's targeted. You have to get the copywriting in your video or your your sales page in text right, branding, positioning. There's so many sort of soft skills there that you kind of need to push together to make it work. Uh, and even before all of that, most people just don't know how to get a subscriber, how to find someone who is interested in what you're doing enough to sign up uh, to an email list. They know step one. So that's an area where this, there's a lot of things to learn. And that's why people like myself and, and I think you too, Ellie, exist because we're assisting people to get better results uh, from what they do online, whether it's you know learning the skills of copywriting, content creation, you know how to write an email campaign, how does that turn into sales of a product? So those are all important things we all have to learn. I went through that. I wasn't born a writer. I learned blogging, and even when I started with my blog, I wasn't a copywriter. So I had to learn copywriting, um, and then you know everything just came down to doing the work to create the product and do the marketing and. To, you know, get on podcasts, talk about what I do, teach people, write articles every day to grow my organic searches and traffic, uh, talked on stage a little bit, wrote a free report, started creating my own podcast, produce some videos on YouTube, jump onto social media. You know, it's all all slow and organic, but it starts to compound and you start to grow an audience and then you release your first product and then you can get some money so you can do more things and it just grows from there so that's that's kind of in a nutshell i do think first of all mindset and the belief that you can help people and second just developing those marketing skills and the conversion skills to actually sell something you know don't go and spend six months creating a course if you have no audience because it's great to have a course but if there's no one there to buy it all you've done is pretty much create something that you can look at and no one else will ever see so <laughs> that's not what you want yeah, I, I fall into that mistake many years ago when I was just getting started. So I would create, spend months and months creating this uh, info product, which I thought was awesome and excellent. But um, when I talk to the market, turns out they didn't want it. So I've already wasted months of my time. So that's really good advice. Now, there are a lot of things, like you said just now, with the marketing and sales part, you have to do all this stuff, email marketing, copywriting, branding, um, what would, I mean, for someone who is new to this, uh, it gets very overwhelming. Like you probably heard of the phrase in our industry, information overload a lot of times. So what would yeah. you say if, um, what is the structure of steps that, okay, step one, do this, step two, do this. What would you say? Because, uh, they just can't possibly take, 
learn all of these things all at once, right? So what is the um, yeah. what would you what you based on based on your experience? What would you say is the logical steps one needs to take in order to really do what is necessary instead of being oh there's just so many things to do I'm just going to uh, put it till later and then later never never comes. Right. Yeah, that's probably the most important <laughs> question and the hardest to answer, unfortunately. Well, um, since everyone comes at this from a different place, so I actually think the answer to this question. And I could sit here and, and rattle off, you know, my four-step process for creating a successful teaching content, you know, expert-based business. But the truth is what you really need to do first is assess what you're bringing to the table and what you don't know. Because that then guides you to your actual first step. So it's kind of like a meta first step. Uh, you know, you have to assess your your resources. So what what are you capable of producing? What do you bring to the table in terms of audience or connections, relationships, products you can sell now, you know? And then you need to kind of learn a framework. This is why when I, I as you know, I sell a flagship course called Blog Mastermind, which I've been teaching now uh, almost 10 years. And one of the things I tell people to do with that course is when you first sign up, go through the whole course, but do it in review mode. Don't do any action steps. Don't try and complete the actual activities in the course. Just go through everything because it's going to be overwhelming. Just like you said, I cover all these things you're talking about to a degree. And I want you to just see the picture you're trying to paint from A to Z, even though most of it's just way too overwhelming to try and learn everything at once. But I want you to kind of see the map of the process you're going to walk so you can then place yourself on that map and then you can make that decision. Okay, my next step is actually this. It could just be like, I need to figure out my topic. I don't even know what I'm trying to do for people, what problem I'm trying to solve. And if that's your position on this map, you go, you, you go okay, I need to go talk to more people to learn more about their problems. So you don't do any online marketing at all. It just comes down to talking to people. It could be talking on Facebook or something like that, but that could be the step. However, if you're coming at this and you already know your expertise, like I am the best uh, lower back pain expert and I want to start selling my information on this subject, you don't have to choose your problem. You know what the problem is. So that's not your first step. Your first step is going, okay, I know the map again, identifying what I need to do. I need a domain name and a landing page and a blog and I need to write my first 10 articles so I can start my presence online. And that's uh, a different first step because that that's choosing a domain name. It's a branding and uh, naming decision. Uh, so that's mm -hmm. a completely separate set of skills you'd have to learn and figure out and research and, and you know get it done. So it, it does depend. Like if I started today myself, I know because I don't have to look at the map. I'm very familiar with the map. Um, I still have to determine my prob my problem I'm helping people solve. I did this with very recently with uh, Inbox Done. You know, it's a it's a fairly new company, only less than two years old, and it's like, okay, we want to help people do their email. How are we going to reach them? How are we going to deliver this service? And the, I I knew from my experience, the first thing we got to do is see if people even want this service. So let's try and get a test customer and learn everything about the potential future business helping this test customer very much like a lean startup methodology and uh because i know online marketing i didn't have to go and teach myself what's a landing page what's an email list you know that stuff is i'm beyond that on that map but if you can't answer that you got to learn the map and go all the way back to those first steps 
And uh, that helps deal with the information overload because, and this is the secret, you don't do anything else. You ignore all the rest of the map because that's how you get overwhelmed because you're suddenly exposed to advice on copywriting, advice on split testing, advice on product creation, people telling you that you need to be doing Facebook ads and you need to be doing uh, your, your YouTube channel and you should be blogging and, oh, why don't you uh, do a webinar? <laughs> and it's like, okay, I don't even, it's too much and you don't know where that fits in the map. But if you have to ignore that, and your only decision is, I got to make a domain name. That's so much clearer. And that's one task. You go get it done. So I'm a big fan of chunking down and ignoring everything else. Okay, great advice. So with online training programs, online courses, just now you mentioned about one of the problems that people face is about they are not an expert. They don't believe in themselves. They don't believe that their skills or knowledge or experience um, can be sold. What would you say to these people like, okay, they say, that, okay, I'm not an expert at anything, so I don't have anything of value to give to other people. So how do you actually, for someone who, what, 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 what would you say to uh, someone like that? Well, if that's the truth and they don't really have any kind of knowledge, uh, you know, like there's, there's the people who are actual beginners and they shouldn't be teaching. And then there's the people who do know something, they've lived through something, they have experience to share, they just don't have self-belief. There's that little voice inside their head saying, I'm not an expert, I don't have a degree or a qualification, so no one should pay me for this. That's different. That person needs to understand that the internet in particular is not about having a qualification, it's about having results. So if you have lived through an experience of fixing that lower back pain, you can go on the internet and explain what you did to fix it and immediately make an impact on other human beings. Now, you might not call yourself an expert, but that other person who benefited from your advice will see you as very helpful because hopefully your advice helped them with their back as well. So that's the difference. It's a result. Now, you know, certain fields certainly do require expertise. You can't go teaching brain surgery without having been through medical training. But if you take away, say, the medical and the legal profession, most other professions, or not even professions, most other areas where you solve people's problems do not necessarily need a qualification. Like, you don't have to get an MBA to start a business. You know, you don't have to get an engineering degree to go and build a shed in your backyard and then sell those sheds online, right? So, or sell how to make a shed online with information products. So it's, like I said, all about the, the, re, the results you've gotten for yourself, you've got for other people, sharing what you know online. That's what YouTube is all about. Like, I, I feel almost like you don't have to prove this point. Go onto YouTube, look at all the most popular channels and ask yourself, how many of those people are official experts with some kind of qualification for what they're talking about on YouTube? Right. Almost none of them. So it's certainly not necessary to succeed. Um, if, on the other hand, you are a true beginner, uh, maybe you're very young and you've, and you've never actually, you know, you've been just, you've gone to school and you haven't uh, focused on anything. Although most people, even when they're, you know, early teenagers, they, they might get into coding or they might get into some kind of science they love or a sport they love. So often you can still, I know when I was 18, I, I did not consider myself an expert. And what was important was to go through a bunch of experiences to make me someone of, of knowledge. That's why when I started a blog, I, seven years later, I started blogging after I was 18. It wasn't until I was 25 that I started the blog. The only reason that blog worked was because I was telling stories from all the things I did, whether they worked or they didn't work, 
in the last seven years. And, and that, mm. for me, the most important advice was to do something. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So for anyone who's in that boat, I would say go learn and do through experience. Uh, that will give you the, the building blocks for whatever it is you might end up helping people do in the future. But until that happens, you got to go and learn and live and uh, deliver results to yourself and other people first, uh, solve problems basically, and then you can potentially teach those problems, uh, those solutions uh, in the future. Mm. So before we wrap up, if you can only give one advice, only one advice to people who want to build a successful online course business, what would that be? Only one, huh? Mm. <laughs> yeah, we don't want people suffering from, you know, information overload again. So I always like to keep this yeah. to one. Yeah. I would, again, it's hard to know where everyone is coming at this. But I do know from my experience, there are, and I've already kind of said this, there's two types of people. Those who are clear on their problem and what they help people with and those who are not. So I would say the one thing to do if you are not clear on what you help people with is go spend some time with people and help them <laughs> to learn about their problem. I think there's nothing better you can do than, uh, you know, it, it, let's stick with this bad back example. Go go talk to other people online who complain about a bad back and, uh, you know, uh, see what they're doing and, and what they've tried and what hasn't worked. You know, talk to them in some either a Facebook group or could be an online bulletin board or Reddit you know, whatever it is, wherever the people talk about bad backs, I'm not even sure. Or, you know, read the comments on another person's blog. If you do know what your problem is you help people with and you're, you know, you're excited about creating a course around this area, your one most important thing, I would say, is to learn the framework, as I mentioned before, of what it takes to sell online if you're new to this. Um, there's so much free information. Obviously, I'm, I'm one person, well, you're another, who provides resources on learning the system. Uh, and to make it very practical, if I was to say the one most important thing to do within the system is actually to grow your email list. I know that will always be the best advice I can give people from a practical standpoint because you can make a lot of mistakes, but if you always have a list that's growing every day, you've got an audience that's always paying attention to you. So you can keep trying. You can, you know, launch a product and it can not do well. You can change it. You can ask for feedback. Uh, you know, you can interact with people. You can try different product types, different pricing. And as long as you've got that steadily growing audience, it gives you options. Uh, you can start a whole new business with it, as I've done many times now. Uh, some worked and some didn't. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's an amazing asset. There's no better asset, despite being such old technology with email, mm -hmm. relatively speaking, it's still the most powerful tool we have uh, for marketing and, and starting businesses. So when you mentioned about the uh, learn the framework, right, you mentioned you have a resource for that? Can you tell us where people who are listening yeah. to this can learn this framework about what you just said? Yeah, I mean, I, I've got, if you're the kind of person who just wants a concise handout uh, type document, like a short report, which is also available in audio, uh, you'll know this very well. Well, in my blog profits blueprint, it's the uh, most successful teaching resource I've ever released. Over 200,000 people have gone through it. And that you can find uh, either just blogprofitsblueprint.com or head to my blog, uh, yaro.com. 
blog, B-L-O-G, or Google Yarrow. I'm, I'm usually on the first or second page. Uh, you can find the blog of Yarrow and the podcast of Yarrow, Y-A-R-O, and the, the blueprint is available there as well. Great. Yeah, to listeners, I highly recommend you check it out because I've been following Yarrow, like I said just now, for a very long time, and the content he puts out is very, very solid. I'm also one of his students back many, many years ago with your membership site, Mastermind. And to, to this date, I still follow Yarrow, reading his blog, his po- uh, listening, listening to his podcast. So is there anything else you would like to add, Yarrow, before we end the show? I just want to say thanks, Wally, for being such a long-term reader. I, I love getting to talk to people who've been there since the really early days. You, you like before Cranky Ads, you know, Membership Mastermind, you remember me doing long hair videos. So, you know, <laughs> it's changed a right. lot since yeah. then. So I, I do appreciate your uh, long-term attention. And I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to have played a part, you know, in, with your success, uh, even a small part with my course. So um, just keep up the good work. Yeah, sure. So one more thing before I end, because you mentioned about the uh, membership set Mastermind with your long curly hair back then. Yeah, <laughs> yes, and I remember. Yes. Yeah, I don't want people to be overly. Sometimes people overthink. I remember you delivered lessons just via plain old emails, and then uh, giving people a generic password, so every member will have a, a, the same password. Is that correct? I think it yeah, was you got it. I, uh, <laughs> it was. I mean, no one knew this. Uh, you might have figured it out, really. I don't know, but um, uh, well, obviously, I told people in memberships I mastermind that blog mastermind, my first ever course. It was literally a WordPress site with a password protected section. You know, like you can you can even do this by default with WordPress, but I had my tech person do it, and then I had created one username and one password. And every customer got a welcome email when they joined that gave them the same username and password, right. but no one knew it. <laughs> so they all, they all thought they had a unique password and username, but they didn't. <laughs> okay, maybe because I'm, into, I'm very heavy into the technical side because I've been creating all these software, so I probably have an uh, advantage with other, uh, that other people don't have. So that's why I, I think I knew, I, I suspected it was a, a, uh, a generic password that everyone shares the same password. Um, yeah, so what I want to point out here is that uh, you don't necessarily you don't necessarily have to uh, overcomplicate things, especially with tech. Um, if if it, you can start like what Yaro did, like having a simple setup, uh, you, you don't you don't have to create an account, uh, username account for each every single of your member. Um, you can just start the simple way, and then when things you get momentum traction, you can hire people to set up the tech stuff for you, improve your system. So it doesn't always have to be uh, tech perfect from day one. That is the message I want to get across to you guys. All right, Yero, thank you again for sharing your experience. I appreciate it. And thank you for the listeners for listening. Thanks, Willie. Good luck, everyone. If you're not listening to this on our website, go to academy.birdsend.co slash four to get your show notes. This show is brought to you by Birdsend Email Marketing Tool, the only email marketing tool specifically created for online course creators. Get your free forever account at birdsend.co. That's bird as in the flying bird and send as in sending emails. Birdsend.co.